Director Molly Lindbergh and Spirito Rivera, thank you for being here this morning with us again. It was really great to have you here. They actually were here for the first service, and as much as they loved this day for the second service too, all of it, because they hung on every word that I said earlier. <laughs> they took a test, they all passed, so now they can leave. So let's thank them once more for the They're so polite, right? Formal, polite. And then when we uh, sang, I will rise, and we said something about, and the angels cried. Didn't it sound like we had real angels in the room? It was awesome, it was wonderful. Maybe it was just me. Uh, before um, we get to the message this morning, let's just turn to God in prayer. Focus our attention on who he is and what he wants to say to us this morning. So Lord, we thank you for um, your many blessings to us. For worship this morning um, that is uplifting and inspiring. For um, young people who have been given gifts and talents and abilities that they want to develop. And uh, for their desire to lead us in worship this morning, we give you thanks. We pray, O oh Lord, now that as we turn to your word, um, that we'd make room for your Holy Spirit to speak to us. That whatever distractions we might be aware of, whatever burdens we might carry in our heart, whatever things are floating around in our heads, that you might help us rid ourselves of those so we can focus on you and your word and let your word live within us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So um, for those of you who worship with us regularly, for the last several weeks we've been thinking together about the core values of our congregation that God has given us. And then in addition to that, we've been now thinking about our vision. And last week we talked about uh, what it means to draw people to know Jesus. Our vision is that we would be God's source of shining light and living water in the western suburbs, drawing people to know Jesus, that was last week's topic, becoming like Jesus, that's what we're going to cover this week, and then next week we're going to talk a little bit about what it means to serve Jesus. And to look at this whole idea of becoming like Jesus, I want to um, read to you from Philippians chapter 1, uh, verses 3 through 6, and then 9 through 11. I thank God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for that day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God. Um, so last week I had a question for you, which was, you know, what do you know when you know somebody? Um, and this week I have another question, and that is, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up? This is a very common question, right? Um, you know, I hear it regularly. At least that's the way I hear it. Becky says, why don't you grow up? And I hear her saying, what do you want to be when you grow up? But this is a question that young people have to answer, right? You know, if you're younger, sometimes you do these little projects in elementary school, and you got a project, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I remember doing this, it was, I always wanted to be in the FBI, you know, so I'm a pastor. But I had to write about, you know, what it meant to be in the FBI, and do all this investigation and stuff, and this was a dream, what I want to be when I grew up, I wanted to be in the FBI. Um, and all of you have a dream, you know, fireman, lawyer, orchestra, nurse, doctor, whatever it is, 
Um, but no matter what our age, the question is still appropriate. It's not just for younger people. What do you want to be when you grow up? Particularly from a Christian perspective. Because we have never completely matured in Christ. This question is something that all of us have to keep answering. Where are we in our um, process of becoming more like Jesus? And where does he want us to go? Where are our growing edges? And sometimes we get these uh, two concepts, uh, theological concepts, mixed up. The concept of justification and the concept of sanctification. So justification um, comes to us from a court of law where we've done something wrong, where we've disobeyed the law, and somehow we have to go before the judge and justify what we did or make right with the law so that we're one and whole with the law again and our picture isn't on the FBI wanted posters anymore. All right? So we have the same relationship with God. We've been disobedient. We haven't fully followed what God wants us to do. We've strayed and wandered off. And somehow we have to be reunited with God or justified in some way, shape, or form. Um, our catechism that we use in our denomination, the Heidelberg Catechism, uh, has questions about this and answers that it gives us for this whole idea of justification. So question 12, and I thought you'd just recite it for me with, from memory. Okay, maybe we won't. The question 12 is this, since then by the righteous judgment of God we have deserved temporal and eternal punishment, how may we escape this punishment? Come again to grace and be reconciled to God. We deserve punishment, how do we get out of the punishment? God wills that his righteousness be satisfied. Therefore, payment in full must be made to his righteousness either by ourselves or by someone else. Someone's got to pay the price. We've distanced ourselves from God. We deserve punishment. That's what we should get. Someone has to pay the price. So question 18, after it discusses a little bit about this whole idea of justification, says... Who is the mediator who at the same time, who is, who is at the same time true God and the true and perfectly righteous man? And the answer is our Lord Jesus Christ who is freely given to us for complete redemption and righteousness. So what we learn in this whole deal is that justification means that you and I can't do anything to make things right with God. Jesus did it for us. He paid the price on our behalf. He went before God. He took care of it. We are justified. We're renewed. We're back with God again as one because of what Jesus did for us. That's justification. But then there's this whole other idea of sanctification, which means that we're becoming more and more like God. We're becoming more and more like Jesus. It's a process that is ongoing. And Paul says that he is confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And so the question is applicable, right? You know, what do you want to be when you grow up? And the obvious answer is, I want to be more and more like Jesus. If I'm a fireman or a nurse or a lawyer or a pastor, if I'm a musician or a salesperson, no matter what I am doing professionally, if I'm, if I'm a homeowner, whatever the case might be, no matter what I am doing, I want to become more and more like Jesus in doing that. Our true identity is becoming like Jesus. The things that we do to earn money is the way that we make a living and we represent Christ in the world. I want to be more and more like Jesus should be the answer for all of us who call ourselves believers when we're asked the question, what do you want to be when you grow up? Now I think it's hard for all of us to imagine that we could even come close to being like Jesus. 
I mean, we can do all the stuff on the outside, right? We can appear that we're very faithful and that we're Christ-like. We can show up for worship every Sunday. We can go to Bible studies. We can pray. We can lead. We can sing. We can do all the things that we do externally that are part of what it means to be Christ-like. But then we go home at night and we look into our hearts and minds and we know who we are really. And we battle this whole idea of hypocrisy within our lives. Because we know why we have our own inner struggles and our own thoughts that are not Christ-like and our own feelings and the desire of our hearts and minds that would not be thought of to be like Jesus would have. We're far from being like Jesus in our minds. And Paul doesn't say, however, I hope you could become more like Jesus or if you work really hard at it, maybe you could become more like Jesus. He says, no, no, no. I am confident in the fact <coughs> that that's going to happen, that God, who began a good work in you, is going to bring it all the way to completion, that in the end we're going to look exactly like Jesus, and Paul is confident that it's going to happen. A lot more confident, I would guess, in our honesty, than you and I are that it's going to happen. But where does all this confidence come from? I mean, how can Paul be so confident about what you and I are going to do? Well, see, Paul understands that it's not us trying to be more sanctified and becoming like Jesus. It's God's work in us, right? So a little bit later on in the book of Philippians, he writes this. He says, our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Christ has brought everything under his control. He'll transform everything. It's demonstrated by the power of his resurrection, right? He died. He was buried. That was the end. Nothing else is going to happen. But he rose from the dead. If he has the power to do that, the Apostle Paul understands that because of that resurrection power, he can be completely confident that Christ can do anything else in our lives. So it's God's work in it. I am completely confident, Paul says, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. No, 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 no. Did you hear what he said? He who began the good work in you, he will bring it to completion. You won't bring it to completion. God's going to be at work in us through the power of the Holy Spirit, bringing it to completion. We're going to be just like Jesus in the end. He's confident that it's going to happen. Now, when Paul writes to the church at Ephesus, um, he describes us uh, in a very unique way. He says that we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things that he planned for us long ago. He doesn't say, uh, you're a bunch of automobiles. And you're on an assembly line, and we just push you off the assembly line, and when you're done, you all kind of look the same. He doesn't say that you're a bunch of widgets and we just produce more widgets. He doesn't say that all of you as Christians are going to look exactly the same. He says that each one of you is a masterpiece. Each one of you is a work of art. Each one of us is a, a work in progress. We're never complete. We're never finished. And so in the Old Testament, there is this idea that, that God is the potter and we are the clay. And so when you work with clay, you're continually manipulating it, maneuvering it, changing it. Until it's complete and final. And in the end, it looks exactly like what you had in mind. It's a work of art. And each of us are exactly like that in God's mind. And every experience that we have, 
And every encounter, every worship service, every conversation, every person that we meet, every class that we take, is all part of the sculpting process of the masterpiece that you and I are uniquely to become like God. It's Christ's work within us. We all have different personalities, we all have different backgrounds, we all have different interests, we all have different gifts, we all have different abilities, but we're all becoming like Christ to use those things for his glory and his honor. So let's just say that, uh, that at one point in time you had this sense that God was calling you to be a medical doctor, right? And uh, you, you were convinced that God was calling you to be a doctor and there was no chance. Maybe he came to you in a vision one night and said, you're going to be a medical doctor. And God said, I'm confident that that's going to happen. So how would you respond to that? Well, I guess I'll just sit my lazy boy and wait till I'm a doctor. I mean, you'd go to high school and you work really hard in your classes and you get accepted to college and you do in a pre-med program and you work really hard in those classes and you get accepted to med school. I mean, there's some kind of cooperation we have to make, right? I mean, when you wanted to, you know, I, I, I didn't want to be a pastor. But when I decided that I sensed that God was calling me to be a pastor, I couldn't just say, okay, make me one. I had to apply to seminary. They made a mistake and they let me in. I had to take the classes. I had to do the training. There's part of this cooperation thing that goes on. And this is the same way it happens when we're becoming more like Jesus. We all want to become like Jesus, but we've got to put ourselves in positions where that can happen at all times. And sometimes as we get older and older and older, it's harder to put ourselves, well, where is my growing edge right now? What is God calling me to do? Is there something new for me where I can become more like Jesus? Is it going to lead me into something new in life? But there's one hurdle that all of us have to overcome first. And it's the biggest thing that everybody has to overcome to become like Jesus. And if we don't get over this hurdle, it will never happen. The thing we have to do first to become more like Jesus is to surrender. Is to surrender control. And to give God control of our lives. And that may be one of the most difficult things that we can do in life. I mean, it can roll off our tongue very easily. Oh, I surrender, you know, to Jesus, you know. We can sing the song, I surrender all, I surrender all. Really? Do you surrender all? Because if we surrender all, that's a big, that's a big uh, accomplishment. For instance, if I surrender everything to Jesus, I surrender my wallet and my credit card to my checkbook to Jesus too. I don't get to control how I use my money. I don't get to decide what happens with it. It's all God's. And God has a plan for all of that. I surrender that to him. But a lot of us love to control that kind of thing. We don't like to give it up. I surrender my time to God. I surrender my thoughts to God. I surrender what I say to God. I, don't, I have to let go of things like gossip or manipulating other people, or cajoling them, or condemning them, or lying, or exaggerating. You know, it's not my mouth, it's not my words. These are the words of Jesus. I have to let go of my ego needs. I no, have, no longer have the right to satisfy every self-centered ambition that I have in life. It has to be in cooperation with God. Is this what Jesus wants me to do? You see, Jesus talked about this himself, right? Whoever finds their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. He talks about surrender, about losing your life to him. And when we lose our life to God, the beauty of it is, is that that's when we really find out what life is all about. 
I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. If we die to ourselves, we multiply. If we live for ourselves, we're very self-contained. In John Ortberg's book, The Me I Want to Be, he says that surrender is the glad and voluntary acknowledgement that there is a God and it's not me. That's a big step right there. His purposes are often wiser and better than our desires. Jesus does not come to rearrange the outside of our life the way that we want to order it. He comes to rearrange the inside of our life the way that God wants it. Now people who, um, who are not Christians say that they're you know, not that interested in um, the church or they're not really that interested in organized religion. And whenever I hear them say that, I say, well, you can come to our church. We're not that organized. It would be great. They don't want a lot to do with what they know about the trappings of Christianity. But they are kind of interested in Jesus. It's hard not to like Jesus. And what happens in our lives as we become more like Jesus is that's exactly who other people need. They don't meet the trappings of Christianity. They don't meet the rules and the regulations. They don't meet all the stuff that we have to do. But as you and I are becoming more and more like Jesus, when other people meet somebody, they meet Jesus. They don't meet us any longer. So the question for us is, what do I have to surrender? And for all of us, it's something different right now. Wherever we are in our life, what is it that I'm hanging on to that's not allowing me to be more and more like Jesus? What do I still need to and sometimes it's hard to identify those things. And we can become more like Jesus in a lot of different ways. And there are some very specific things that we can do to understand what it might mean for us to become more like Jesus. There are these standard practices that are described historically throughout Christianity called the spiritual disciplines. And you might be going, so Rev, why are you looking at your phone right now? Because I am going to magically show you one of the ones that I like the most if I can. Oh no, Kyle, why isn't this working? Oh, Kyle's not here. That's why it's not working. No, that's not true. I think we can get this to work. Oh, no. Oh, there it is. Hold on. Just a second. Oh, there it is. My phone. Aren't you, you're supposed to all cheer now. My phone's up here. I didn't, want, I didn't want to show you those messages. Uh, actually, so what I do want to show you, though, is I have this Bible app on my phone. They're available for everybody. I happen to have one called the U version of the Bible. You can all have it. But reading scripture is made so easy right now. You know, at any point you are in your life. So there's like these devotional plans about how to read the Bible. So they talk here about, uh, are you interested in family stuff? Next steps for kids, treasure hunters, my place in God's world, God's peace. There's four or five days of each one that you can read. There's all sorts of other kinds of plans, like topical plans, how to pray. Here's a topical plan that I can't wait to get to, Greek myths and Roman roads. Okay, maybe not. <laughs> Finding purposes in your life, the gospel and sexual abuse. There's all sorts of anger issues, all sorts of plans in here for special topics. There's some things in here that are designed for you. Why do I need Jesus? How to be involved in the church, making wise choices, how to become someone that others want to be with. 
I should read that one. Um, so the, the point is this, that there's no excuse for us not to engage in scripture. You could, I mean, really, remember when you used to have to carry around this gigantic Bible, you know, and everybody thought you were a Bible nerd or whatever because you had your Bible with you all the time? It's on your phone. We all have these phones with us all the time. You know what's annoying about this Bible program? Is it reminds me every day with a message on my screen. Have you read your daily plan that you decided to read yet today? Have you done this yet, Rev? It's like seriously annoying. It won't leave me alone until I do it. But I need that kind of thing. It helps us discipline our lives. It gives us all sorts of ideas. Reading scripture is extremely important no matter what our age is. Well, I've read the Bible through you know, 40 different times. I know everything that's in there. Really? C.H. Spurgeon, the great preacher, once said, nobody can outgrow scripture. The book widens and deepens with our years. Nobody, regardless of our age, can outgrow scripture. So that's one way that we become more like Jesus, is to understand his word. Another way is to engage in regular um, times of prayer, conversations with God. You don't have to be a professional prayer. You don't have to be all that articulate. A lot of it is just conversation with God. What's on your heart? What's on your mind? What are you facing? What are you fearing? What are you dreading? What do you want to accomplish? What is your perspective, God? I need some interest here. I need some insight. I need some direction. And then it's always important for us to spend some time listening to God. And it may not be in that same sitting session while you're praying on an ongoing basis. He may not whisper in your ear that day. But God may speak to you with the next person that you meet if you're listening carefully. He may speak to you and answer your prayer in an experience that he gives you or an exposure that comes in some other way, an encouragement along the way as well. So this whole idea of conversation with God is another way to become more like Jesus. Regular worship, times of corporate worship like this on Sunday morning, and individual worship as well. And then next week we're going to talk a little bit more about what it means to serve as Jesus served in the world. All of which is part of this whole building a masterpiece that God is involved in in our lives. Regardless of our age, he starts with us where we are and he tries to build us into this beautiful masterpiece. Not just oh, another schmaltzy thing you set on the counter against artwork I did in fourth grade. It's still there with everything else. No, no, no. God says, I'm going to build you into a masterpiece. And he's confident that it's going to happen. And this is what it will look like. That your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. So that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless in the day of Christ. That you may be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. To the glory and the praise of God. Amen? Let's pray. So we're all different people. We're from different places, not only geographically, but intellectually and emotionally and spiritually. And you have us on a journey. And some of us would admit, O oh Lord, that about the last thing we could think of is that we would ever become like Jesus. Because inside of ourselves, we know we are so far from it. And yet you tell us that you're confident that it will happen. And so, O oh Lord, open our hearts and minds that you would shape us and mold us and create us into the Jesus that you want us to be for other people and in your world. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.
Uh, we're going to continue at worship, uh, to worship at this time by offering to God our tithes and our offerings. As we do so, we're invited to sing along with the band uh, as we continue to worship. And then I think for the second song, we'll probably stand and sing. So let's worship together. Mm -hmm. 